Hi everyone, welcome to Type Talks. Today we'll be talking about the Enneagram Type 5. And so the Enneagram Type 5 has several different names it goes by. Some call it the investigator, others call it the analytical specialist. It's seen as the observer or the thinker. And the reason for this is that they're very cerebral and they focus on abstract theories. There is a heavy intellectualism with the Enneagram Type 5 and curiosity. And so they like to hoard knowledge. They really want to gather insights or understandings. And so their core desire is for competence and their core fear is incompetence which is a very good descriptor of the NT types in general that value competence and knowledge. And combined with the introverted sounding profile of this type, it's no doubt that a lot of INTJs type out as Enneagram type five. And some people like to use wings when they discuss this theory. And so there's the Enneagram five wing four. And with this flavor, it's typically called the philosopher. And it is the INTJ that is a little bit more on the introverted feeling side in comparison to the bell curve of INTJs. And so this type is known to have more of Enneagram 4 qualities. It's more almost artistic. Whereas I see the 5 wing 6, on the other hand, as being an INTJ when compared to other INTJs, a little bit more heavy on the extroverted thinking side. And so the five wing six is typically called the problem solver. They tend to place more emphasis on troubleshooting, problem solving, and general descriptions of extroverted thinking, plus Enneagram six qualities too. And so Joe, he has the YouTube channel Ghost of Young, and he recently published a book, his personal manifesto called Marbles and Sculptor. Mm -hmm. And if you want to read his INTJ magic, you should go ahead and check out that book. It has a lot of his journey through type and the cognitive functions and how to apply it in organizations written into that. And it's a short read too. So it's also good to squeeze into your day as well. So it's really good for anyone's busy working schedule. Yeah, so congrats, Joe, on being an author. And he is making it on the bestsellers of the Jungian Psychology list on Amazon. So good job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I think every day it goes from like, you know, top 100 to top 800. You know, every day I'll drop like 80,000 spots or up 80,000 80, spots. So it's it's a definitely a roller coaster on that, the Kindle top top list. Yeah, so let's help Joe stay in the top list by purchasing his book. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yes, all right. And Chris, he has a YouTube channel called Azure Psych, and it is the most well-known INTJ channel out there, and he has, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and I think that he has really quality content, and it really shows the introspective quality of the Enneagram Type 5 and INTJs with the very thoughtful and theoretically provoking material that he puts out. And hi everyone, my name is Joyce and I'm a certified MBTI master practitioner and I facilitate the instrument organizations. I also type and coach people. And so differences between the five wing six and the five wing four. All right, let's head to it. It seems like with Joe and in his new book, Wink Wink, Noch Noch, he talks about the applications of type a lot. And so that's a big focus on the 
five wing six quality or the TE quality of using type in a practical way that generates end results. Because type sixes are head types too, they tend to want to use their thinking in ways that are productive towards something. Whereas Chris, he takes his content on more of an FI angle or a five wing four angle. I find the video game angle to, <laughs> to be interesting because it's about like your personal, what your heart likes to do and dissecting your FI. He does use his FI to explore these pursuits that he has on the side. And I'm wondering if you could both go into that. Oh, I could start. And I, I, this is a great point because I think like when you look at INTJ five wing four, five wing six, like the five wing fours are definitely more into esotericism, stuff like that. Like they're not always looking as from, and I really am attracted to those authors. Like Nietzsche is a five wing four. I read all his stuff. He's not really interested in like the practical application of things, but he's more like just exploration and um, like we don't have to, it doesn't have to be measured or applied. And I love that. Um, whereas like you have uh, other five wing sixes that are like Elon Musk, it, it just, just the name is like definitely like, how do we apply it? Like, what is the, what is the path towards like a goal? So the business side of it. And I think my channel is all about like, how to do something where Chris's is more like, let's, let's try to apply it in a space that no one's applied it before. And let's see what comes from it. Yeah. I think definitely with my content, it's more of just like a, let's take a look at what's going on. And then we'll talk about the applications naturally as that arises from that. Uh, for me, it's more about starting with an interest and then seeing what application can be drawn from the interest. And then instead of maybe trying to immediately start with the most uh, applicable thing. Yeah, which is a fascinating point. You can see with the INTJ 5 wing 4, that's why they get the reputation of being the philosopher, because they're more okay with the realms of their thinking staying to philosophy in the sense of them thinking through an issue extensively pertaining to, of course, their FI point of interest. And if the TE comes, eventually it'll come. But there is this main focus on unpacking the theoretical relevance of their deeply held topics. Whereas with the five wing six, it's typically coined problem solver because it's taking concepts and directly wanting to apply them in some form of business or application, you know, with Elon Musk, as Joe mentioned, applying it to science and technology too. It seems like the five wing sixes where they put their energy into is turning it into something usable. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jung was a five wing four, so that can explain a lot of, there's a lot of overlap there. Maybe he would have, if he was a five wing six, maybe like he wouldn't have cared to, maybe would have like totally turned out differently, this whole type typology. Yeah, because you can very much tell from Jung's work that application was like an afterthought, I think. Mm -hmm. I, it's sad because he talks about like, yes, this is meant to be applied. Or like, yes, you should use this for this. And then he goes on like 40 pages of side story and things that aren't related to application. And you're like, oh, okay, so <laughs> there, yeah. there's still some interest in the application. It's just hard to get there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
And so with the Enneagram type five, they're also known for gathering knowledge. And so I'm wondering what kind of knowledge you both like to gather or what are your thoughts around that topic of hoarding knowledge resources? I always say that I'm a targeted learner and that I generally can't learn something unless it's relevant to my current interest. But if that is within my current interest, I'll dive into it for like 10 hours at a time and just really digest as much of it as I can. Uh, And that's been a struggle for me throughout my life because it meant like going through high school and stuff like that. Hoarding knowledge was not something I really did because I had no interest in school. So I really was just picking up things relevant to like video games, that sort of thing. But as I found my interest in more educational topics, like when I went to school, got my degree, then I found myself diving more into things like psychology and the more like traditional things that you might see the fives be interested in. And I think that that might be the area of difference with the five and four and the five and six is that the five and six is probably almost always align in some sort of either scientific or like business field where I think the five wing fours, that is not a prerequisite or you're, or you're very, there's a good chance that you might not see them end up in those positions. Yeah. You definitely nailed it there. Um, I literally forgot everything I was about to say, man. <laughs> Happens to me all the time. <laughs> I think for the five wing six, I will always have like a queue of books going and one of them will always be like a business or a sales book or a like just something that I I definitely can still use in the practical world. But like I'm also reading a book on etymology just because it's hard, like just because it's like it's literally like a dictionary of how the origin of words. And then I'm reading a biography of Jung. So there's like there's always a foot in the realm of how, what can I apply it to? But I also try to like, maybe that wing four, I'm trying to read stuff just for the sake of gathering it. Cause you never know when you'll pull that out and when it will be applicable. Um, but I think at back of my head, it's, I might apply this someday. So it doesn't hurt to learn it. Yeah. Speaking of reading, it, it, this is actually surprising. I don't actually read at all like not like barely any i'm lucky if i make it through a book or two a year um for me youtube is primary how i primarily how i learn uh listening and that sort of thing but also i find that i tend to learn through like stories and like fiction so i can kind of draw a theme or an idea or something that i want to apply in reality from a story that i've watched read listened to that sort of thing so that's why I find that when I dive into content that I enjoy, like I made the video on Elden Ring, it was like, oh, look, there's a philosophy here that can be applied to real life within this game. And I didn't need to pull that out of a, like a book, for example. It was just something that kind of came to me as I was playing through. That is a really good point, Chris. For the five wing six on Joe's side, there's a slight wanting to learn from experts, like not not in the SI sense, but like in the in the sense where they're also going to want to like gather perspectives from other people. Whereas it seems like for you, Chris, you're like no, purely purely my perspective, or like on Elden Ring, it's like I'm not yeah. looking for a six perspective anywhere. It goes back to the TE versus FI thing. The functions TE and FE are known for wanting to collect external feedback too. And so they're going to want to know what the tribe thinks about something or how they feel about something. Not that they're going to take it seriously. They can doubt it and be skeptical of it and not trust it, but at least like they want to scope it out and, and understand it. Right. I definitely do like enjoy seeking out the authorities on things if I feel like there's a problem that needs to be solved. But I feel like that's the only time that I'm really seeking out that sort of thing, or trying to learn, like I'll buy a book to fix a problem, but I'm probably not just going to buy a book to read through it on my own time. I find that so funny that you barely read. 
So, hey, does YouTube count as reading? I listen to a lot of stuff. Like, um, <laughs> do you put it on like two X? Yes. Yeah, I listen to everything on two X, except for music, of course. But <laughs> that'd be a little weird. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter how you collect knowledge. I guess that's more of just a a traditional way that INTJs would gather knowledge as reading. But I mean, I guess you. I bet if I looked through your history on YouTube, you'd have like just an insane amount per day of YouTube gathering. Of like, right. So I, I listen to YouTube to learn stuff or just watch stuff like while I'm gaming. So I've got two monitors so I can do both at the same time. I mean, I guess that's probably why there's way more, there's way more democracy on YouTube in terms of like, you can gather way more perspectives than you can in the traditional, like if you were to go into like a Barnes and Noble or even an Amazon there's probably more perspectives you could get than I could just reading. The books do tend to be a little bit more refined, though. I find <laughs> like like you're probably gonna find better opinions in good, well written books. Okay. All right. And so another quality of the Enneagram Type Five is detachment. So they're known as the loner that doesn't feel lonely. And so I'm wondering how you experience that. I mean, I definitely relate to that. I've always considered myself it's it's weird because i don't consider myself someone who sees themselves as a loner i'm just someone who sees myself as like not needing social interaction so it's not like i'm moving myself away from everyone it's just like i don't feel the need to gravitate towards people um, and i guess that would make me more of a loner type but it's just there is a distinction there <laughs> yeah there's, it's probably a whoever wrote that was not an intuitive. It's like, oh, it's a loner. He's by himself over there. You know what I mean? Like, there's a there's a quote. I recently, like last year, watched the Hannibal series and Hannibal Lecter is an INTJ, and he talks about having this memory palace he can live inside. And I was like, oh, that's definitely what it is. Like, you can just you can play out a world that's completely. You could take all your time up and not feel lonely at all. But I, I really agree with Chris. It's like I don't move towards needing social engagement um, by choice, not by like being socially awkward. Right. I've actually never struggled with like social anxiety, social awkwardness, none of that. I, in fact, I can strike up a conversation with most people easily. Um, it's just I don't often feel the need or desire to. Is it because? Hold on. I wonder. This is a question that would be interesting. Is it because? You can tell it's going to be super dull if you did talk to that person. Maybe I don't. <laughs> I don't know because that implies like there's like a negative about that person or something. And if people strike up a conversation with me, I'm usually happy to at least like return the conversation. Mm -hmm. As much as we talk about like INTJs, you know, hating small talk and stuff, it's that's something that I've kind of gotten over the, the past few years. It's like, yeah, people are going to have conversations and if you want to function in society and get by with most people, you have to have those kind of conversations. Um, but it's just like, it's very rarely do I feel like I get something very energizing out of a conversation or an interaction with most people. And I think that's the reason why I don't find myself gravitating towards social interaction very often. Yeah. It's like, if you're out somewhere in your line, the classic like, oh, in the grocery line, like, what are the chances someone's gonna just say like, have you ever played this game Elden Ring? Like, they're not yeah. gonna do that. Like, you're, they're gonna say something about the weather, or you like, you're gonna be like, oh man. So, I I think it's like 
being the cerebral type, it's just like they're, they're not going to engage on the level that I think we'd like them to. It's interesting because the cerebral aspect, I don't even always see myself as needing that to be the thing that draws me into conversation. I have a very close friend who is an INTP, and we can talk about the stupidest nonsense for hours on end. And it doesn't have to be educational at all. It just has to be, there has to be that connection. There has to be that spark in the conversation where if I say something, he can immediately bounce off of it. Or if he throws out some any idea, any idea, I can just kind of like filter down and make some quick comeback about it. Like there has to be that kind of back and forth that I enjoy in conversation if it's not going to be something that is in the realm of whatever I'm, you know, mm-hmm. academically interested in. Yep, on board with that for sure. Yeah, so it seems like if you have a good connection with that person, then it's fruitful too, if it's not for learning purposes. Or I'll write you both. And so the next quality of Enneagram 5s is their facial expressions. So the Enneagram 5 is known for having a very blank facial expression or for having a very stoic facial expression, or that they tend to have a relatively expressionless face. Is the archetype of five, like the most five is five will have that demeanor. And it's because they're a little bit removed from their emotions. They kind of feel like a floating brain, floating ideas in their mind. It's sometimes referred to as a computer, like a a computer-like quality to them um, in the sense that they're very cerebral as we keep repeating that word to death. Just fun to say. Yeah. And so Sometimes our thought patterns and our cognitive mindsets lead to certain physical outputs. And so for the five, you're going to have a blankness on their exterior. But yeah, what are your thoughts on that? I'll pass the torch to you guys. Yeah, I mean, this is why I think this embodied cognition type thing is is somewhat real. I mean, for the most part, Generally, I think T-types, like if you're talking about MBTI, T-types tend to have a blank face when information is being said to them and they, they're gathering. NI-types or even five, five types tend to have a blank thousand-yard stare while you're talking to them, either because they've checked out or they're like thinking about something else or they are imagining where you're going with this and it kind of looks like they're looking past you. And that, at least in the eyes, it can be like almost like a dreamy quality like they're they're almost kind of falling asleep as they're listening to you but that's that's part of the gathering process right uh, did anyone see the new thor movie no probably not uh, one of the characters in the movie has farsight so when he does this farsight ability he can see like anywhere in the universe but when he does that he has to like disembody himself so he can no longer see what is around him and instead is in that position of okay now i can see wherever it is that i'm looking and i feel like that's kind of the experience that the, I guess you could say the five has in this scenario. While while they're thinking about something, it's like they're literally kind of looking somewhere else in their own mind and they're outside of their body for a moment. And they kind of have to be brought brought back in, wrangled back into that that state. Yeah, I think you kind of, we end up taking like a meta perspective in the conversation, if especially in person where like, I will tend to imagine myself as the person next to me watching the conversation be like, what do we look like? Do we look insane? Like, what, is this a good conversation? Like, is this interesting? Or like, just start thinking about the person's whole history, like, you know, sizing them up and like what their life story might be, something like that as the conversation's going. So we, we, we might check out for a second, um, they come right back. Yeah. And that's why you'll have pauses in between their speech. Introverts 
for some of them in general, like they tend to pause a little bit before they speak. And so with the INTJs on my panel, there tends to be a really long pause that I edit out of the videos. Um, it's like a 20, 10, 20 second pause for some of them. And then they start talking. And with INTP types too, who commonly are Enneagram 5, they also have pauses, but they have more TI pauses between their words for accuracy. And so Enneagram 5s, because there's this, just this heavy association with introversion with it too, they tend to also pause between speech as they're speaking. Yeah, it's almost like with INTJs, it's like they're building up the entire thought in their head and then giving it all out at once. Or the INTP is like reevaluating every five words, like what they're saying. Yeah, I can't even add to that. That was great. That's exactly how I see it. Very well summed up, Chris. All right. So another quality of the Enneagram 5 is a fear of engulfment. Enneagram 5s like their autonomy. They like to be able to have independence and to not be smothered by another person. And so I'm wondering about your experiences, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely like my autonomy, especially emotionally. It is something I've had to learn to adapt to or with being married to an ENFJ or maybe an ESFJ, an FE DOM, uh, in that <laughs> sometimes you kind of have to at least humor that or be willing to engage in that kind of conversation. But I personally, I cannot feel an emotion if I'm not feeling it in that moment. I can't express an emotion. I will not be pressured into feeling something that I am not currently feeling. Um, no matter what it is, I don't care what scenario I'm in, I'm not going to pretend to feel something I'm not. And that's very, very important to me. And I don't know if that's more important to me as a five-wing four than maybe a five-wing six, but I would list that as like a like a top priority for me. On the emotion, like being forced to feel an emotion or like and then someone thinking that you should feel this because they're telling you a sad story or they had a bad day and they want you to hear them out and you just can't it's it's almost like if someone wants me to to feel something it's like why don't you feel sad about this or like that sort of thing where they're like expecting you to have a reaction to something that you're not reacting that you're not having and you're i right. just can't go through with that that's probably just a general five thing i would say i don't think yeah. i i differ from that at all on that side the autonomy thing is i think it's more personal space and or being imposed upon in a when i'm have a set plan like in the next two weeks i'm going to do this but also someone's going to come stay with us in my space that is like completely triggering for me because yeah, yeah. And it's just so, and it's, even though it ends up being great and I'm glad they came and I had such a great time, and like, why was I upset about it? I pre get angry about something coming up that's going to get in my space. Yeah. Even for me, like with things like recording YouTube videos, I have to have the house completely to myself. It doesn't matter if like there's stuff between us, the other person's in the room, they've got headphones on, they're not doing that. Like, I have to have complete autonomy and silence when I'm doing things that are related to whatever's really important to me, I guess, especially when it comes to things like recording, I guess. Um, but I'm just like you, Joe, or if like <laughs> I get annoyed about being like, Oh, I have to deal with something that's in my space or going to mess with my autonomy in some sense. Yeah. It's, I, I would say, I don't think there's an INTJ or a five that would put autonomy, not number one. I can't, I would just be so shocked if they were like, what, I mean, it could be like intelligence or something. I don't know, but, I'm pretty sure that's the number one thing. 
Yeah. And so that's why I think INTJ and five overlap so much because a lot of these traits are also general INTJ traits too. An element of type five that we've already talked about, but we could go more into detail about is the cognitive orientation of the type. They're known as being intellectual and sometimes at their most extreme, they replace living with learning and they dwell in abstraction to the point where they avoid concreteness. They live in a space where they're curious and prepared, but never feel ready in the most extreme way. So thoughts, feelings. Yeah, I mean, I definitely enjoy learning. For, again, it might be the four wing, but for me, like my passion in life isn't learning, it's doing whatever is like interesting to me. And they can be learning about that interesting thing, but sometimes that doesn't have to do with learning or maybe the learning isn't traditional learning in a sense. Like if I'm getting better at a skill, for example, like I think that's kind of could be my form of learning in that sense. But I, I very much dive deep into, I guess it is learn, learning about whatever it is that I'm, I'm doing. Joe, you were talking about like kind of values, like how you would put autonomy as the highest one. I don't know if you saw on my channel, I did the the two videos on values where there's a test you can take online where it gives you like a hundred words and you kind of rank order them and then you put them against each other. And at the end of it, you get a list of like your top 10 values. And for me, my number one value is mastery. And mm. I did the test and then I did it like three years later and I got the same number one value. And that's because for me, my favorite thing in life is to get better at a skill that I am interested in, something that I'm enjoying at just to just improve at that over and over again. I didn't see that, um, so I'll have to go back. How it was probably a couple months back. That's yucky years ago. I think it's been like two years at this point. Oh, okay, okay. But uh, when I was younger, I was I was much more like interested in things for the sake of them, more like an INTP might just like, oh, I want to know about this, but I no, not want to apply it. But I discovered that I wanted things in life, and to get things, you have to apply systems and or you have to get other people involved um and then so you have to develop you know sales and marketing and you have to develop skills around practical things to get them done so um i though i still have an element of what uh, chris has talked about where i just want to know to know because it's, it tickles my brain and I've, i get that like shiver where the, oh everything comes together um i still want to have a foot in the world of like but also i want to like be fabulously wealthy <laughs> and you, it's hard to do that if you just you're totally conceptual all right so joe brings a really interesting differentiation point so i'm guessing the five wing sixes uh, place more emphasis also on networking or you talked a lot about gathering the people so that you can actually do the te whereas i would consider the five wing four to be more of the extreme loner because the six is not there to gather people for security of goals. Yeah. Networking is definitely something that's difficult for me. Um, and it's because I'm very much willing to, again, be autonomous on my own, but also my, because my goals are so personal, it's very hard to feel like I have the need to get other people into that. One of the problems I faced getting in or applying to graduate programs over the past few years is I went through my degree without like ever talking to my teachers. It was like I was a straight A student. I had research experience. I didn't do any of this, but it was like I don't need my teachers. 
I can do these things on my own. I can like, I'll ask them a question if I need it, but why, why do I want to like develop these connections and these sorts of things? And that was something that came to bite me back later. Now that I don't have those connections, I've, I've interviewed for a job right now. It's like a research job on like a, a military base. And they're like, yeah, we need five references. And I'm like, I don't know five people. <laughs> five. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't even know five people. Uh, Let me get five references. I think that is, I don't know if there's a way to apply this to Enneagram specifically, but I think it is like what somebody described ENFJs as great social climbers. And I was like, eh, that's the element that we're missing is like finding out who in the network is important to know, doing well for them to get to where, you know, if you probably did school again, you'd be like, I need to like go to that person's office hours. I need to integrate myself into like their, like capture their mind share. And then maybe this whole reference thing wouldn't be so hard, but like, it's hard to learn. It is a very hard task to learn indeed. Yeah, I, I think um, ENTJs are extremely good with network building. They're just the dominant TE just knows the right person for the right job to the right role. And you tell them something, they can name a person who can tell you where to get that skill. <laughs> Definitely. It's funny because I feel like INTJs, like we know who we can send someone to. Mm-hmm. Like if someone's like, hey, I need an expert in this field, it's like, oh yeah, go to that person. But it's like, we don't put in the effort to make those connections ourselves. Because we're just like, oh, I'll go to that person if I need that thing. Instead of just having the connection built, you know, outside of when it's needed. I'm, I'm pretty good. I mean, Joyce kind of sees me on LinkedIn. I think I have a pretty, I think I'm pretty engaging, but I, I'm not trying to say your point is wrong. I'm just saying that I, I don't relate to that, though I know that it is very common. And I, that's why people type me as I got recently typed by someone that has like a hundred subscribers on YouTube that said ENFJ and then ISTP. And I'm like, man, I think it's FE is too good. And I'm like, I, I swear I, it's a learned skill. I promise you, like, I'm not trying to. <laughs> TE is just as much about connections as the FE is. It's just a whole different ballpark. The TE is all about the, like the formality, the business you know, professionalism, that sort of thing. And that, yeah. LinkedIn is the most like TE website in existence. Yes. It really is. Yeah. I had an ENTJ panel and they all left the panel going like, my LinkedIn is this. And I'm like, who does this? (laughs) I do. I see you on there, Joyce. I see you on there more than ever now. At least maybe you, I don't know, my stuff might pop up up in your algorithm, but I'm like, okay, I see Joyce out there. LinkedIn's great. It's it's an amazing platform. <laughs> it's just I find it quirky that TE users are the one who always bring it up to me. It's like LinkedIn Joyce, and I'm like, all right, TE user. <laughs> and so there is this interesting quality here where the five wing four is going to be even more introverted because it's two extremely introverted types. Like the three types that are the withdrawn types within the Enneagram are the nine, five, four. And so when you have both of those types in your code somewhere, you're going to be on the farthest end of introversion. Whereas the five wing six, the six is a part of the compliant types. So it's neutral in terms of introversion and extroversion. So you're going to have a five wing six that is not they're not going to be as extremely introverted as the five wing fours are. 
because I, that's why I also think the five wing fours are in their head so much, because if you're that heavily introverted by nature, you're going to spend a lot of time abstracting inside your mind for a very long time in isolation without peopling. I'm not an Enneagram expert, but someone once told me that they were pretty sure my tri-type was like nine, five, four or something. I'm not a tri-type expert. I don't know, but I, I'm commonly been associated with those three numbers. And I'm also very introverted. Like I consider myself more introverted than like 98% of people. Um, I know that that tri-type doesn't make sense. Like by how tri how you would do tri-type, but... Oh, I don't know. I just, <laughs> whenever I hear people type me in Enneagram, they're like, you're either a five or four or nine. And I'm like, okay, so I don't... I wonder what you, I wonder what you would be. It's hard to, I don't know how to figure out tri-type, but I know that there's like certain ways you have to do it. Um, yeah. So you take one type from the heart types, one type from the gut types and one type from the head types that you relate to. And then you put them in the order in which you relate the most to them. And that creates your tri-type. Yeah. Can 954 be a tri-type? Yes. Yeah. I was pretty sure they could, but maybe I'm wrong. So is yeah. it five? Well, you'd be five first, so five. Yeah, so five, five, nine, five four? four, nine, I guess. But it would yeah. matter. It would matter what order, wouldn't it? For the, the order matters. It's this descending order in which the strength. Oh. Nine is so hard because it's. I feel like nine is the most like, like all encompassing. Is it not? So the interesting part about <laughs> tri type is that there are certain types that fade into your type. So with nine and six, it's hard to see in relation to your other Enneagram types, because let's say you're making a soup. The nine and the six are the types that get blended into the soup that you can't really taste the ingredient, but it's there. Mm. And so it's hard to know where it is in the tri-type sometimes, because it takes on the flavor of whatever else is in the tri-type. So the question was about like isolation, right? I think, <laughs> I think the point that I was trying to make is that I consider myself a very, very introverted person in that I can easily go like weeks without social interaction. And in fact, my wife will tell me, it's like, hey, you haven't left the house in like three weeks. Like, are you, you should probably go out and like talk to someone. But at the same time, we also live in a different world where like, I may not be socializing with people in that way, but I can talk on Discord with friends for like three or four hours every night sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't think that has like the same social drain. I think that's the nice middle ground for introverts. It's, it's in fact, it's quite recharging for me to like play games with a friend or something through discord. Cause at, at any point I can just be like, I'm tired and just click the button. Now the call's over. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, all right. But... I think I really do think that, uh, I am much more, I hate to use the word like gregarious, but that's the only one that came to mind. Like I, I can definitely go out of my way to be more extroverted and not get drained as quickly. Um, but I think it is just developing an understanding of, like I said, I had this conversation with Michael Pierce recently about his monarch types. Oh, I watched that. It was good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, we're going to do a whole series. I'm really excited about that. But um, he says like NTs in general, we want to, we understand we need other people. So we have to develop a way to get other people involved to accomplish a goal. So it ends up being more of a mechanical or systematic approach. Um even though it's like really straining, we have to put, I have to put like a reminder to do it, but I always see the value of it um, to like make those connections, talk to the people. But yeah, like I will chat with someone on LinkedIn, a bunch of conversations going, but I can just easily close out if I'm done. Exactly, Joe. And so a quality of the Enneagram six is 
not wanting to put all your eggs into one basket because it's not the smart move to do. And the six is about like, how can I minimize the worst case scenario from happening? So you're going to figure out ways to be gregarious because you're setting yourself up for success in the business arena or in the whatever arena you are planning to be in. And so the six is going to develop social skills. Sixes are known for contingency planning. It's kind of like socializing is a contingency plan to make sure that things work out. So it's like, all right, I know that networking or talking to people is a good idea because it makes things TE work. And so I'm going to invest into it. Yep. 100%. And it almost sounds like, Joe, and I could be wrong here, but it almost sounds like with the five wing sixes, maybe the goals tend to be slightly more broad. Where it's like when you were talking about, it's like, oh, I want to be successful or like wealthy. And it's like, there's a thousand different routes you could take to get to that goal, right? So you're at, with your DE, you're able to kind of navigate different routes and approaches well, maybe? hundred percent. Sure. And I, I, that's why sometimes like, I don't think in terms of five or NI, like I do not have a very clear vision of like, this is the end goal. I will be this. It's just like a broad success. You put the system in place, success will be inevitable, but I've never related to that. Like, oh, I see the vision. It's crystal clear. This is how I get there. I'm like, I have a general sense of like success. Like you say, TE helps me do the right things, but then it might reveal itself at some point in my life, but it has not yet. I think maybe that's where we diverge because with the five wing fours, I would imagine, at least for me, there's almost more of an identity aspect. So as I create a goal, it's related to me and my identity, FI, you could say. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, like, oh, I want to be a clinical psychologist, like that is the goal. And therefore it's related to my identity. Therefore I have to, I have one track to get there. It's not like, all right, I'm going to kind of diverge and there's different ways that I could go about doing this. I have to do this one thing to get the one goal. Yeah, I'm kind of jealous of that in a way because I would like it to be like, oh, I just, I want to be this CEO of a company one day. Here's how you do it. And I don't have that. So still on the path. Yeah. Well, those kind of concrete goals, the reason why you may not have such a specific goal is because the more specific you make it, the more concrete you make it too. And that's more on the sensing side too sometimes or on more on the TE first mm -hmm. side. And so because you're not TE dominant types and also you're more on the vague abstract side with NI, you're not going to have always a specific one thing you're aiming towards, but it can be more open in scope as long as it complies with the general parameters in which it is something you want. And so more five qualities. One of the things that Naranjo wrote about was how the Enneagram five is prone to guilt and a vague sense of inferiority, vulnerable to intimidation and can be self-conscious, awkward, or hidden. There are some qualities of this that overlap with inferior extroverted feeling in INTPs. So I wonder how much like an INTJ would relate to it. That was one of the struggles I had when I was reading the five descriptions is because I didn't really relate to the, like the struggle areas too much or like the, the like core fears. I suppose the the one core fear that resonated with me across all the typology systems was the um, the gamma quadra core fears from socionics and its restraints or being restrained, like being prevented from doing whatever it is that you want to do. Um, so I think that for me is closer to what I would describe as, you know, that for the five. 
I do resonate with uh, being valueless or being incompetent. Um, I don't like being around incompetent people or someone that's not playing their own weight. Um, like I would hate to be the weakest chain in like weakest link in the chain because it's like that person like you you can't help anybody. You can't do mm-hmm. anything. People are like oh you know poor Joe. He's you know he's still you know he doesn't know enough to do this right. And that's like I resonate with that fear for sure. Which is very classical NT fears. <laughs> very, yeah. very interesting. Okay. I, I almost have like a, it's almost like a neurotic relationship with competence where I can't see myself as incompetent. <laughs> like I literally can't, like there's never been a single moment in my life where it's like, I can't do that thing. It's always, mm-hmm. okay, I want this thing. What do I do to get it? How can I get it? What do I need to train myself to do to get it? Uh, so incompetence has never been a fear, at least for me, or at the very least, never been a fear that someone else will judge me on my competence. Because if someone else judges me on my incompetence, it's just like, okay, I'll work harder and get it myself. Or I don't even value that they're judging me. Okay. So that's a very monarch type thing to say. Right. I love it. <laughs> and, it's, and, and it's one of those things where I have to like temper that because at its worst, it can be very egotistical. Because it's like, at its very worst, and especially in like my teen years, you get the feelings of like superiority for me at least, where it's like, okay, like why should I have to deal with this? You know, I'm better than this, that sort of thing, and that's something that I've had to temper as I got older and got more mature. Yeah, it's really because I think the five would want to say like, you know, some of my responses and some YouTube comments. It, it happens so rarely, but it'd be like, I think your comment is super good. You should create a channel and respond to it as well like clearly you've done the research and they're like uh, and then just like ends the conversation because it's like you know i we've done a lot of research sometimes what i'd say will will be like will sound very elementary and kind like kindergarten speak where i like it might sound dumbed down or i'm not able to get my thoughts out fully and people will have a super articulate com- like comment back i'm like dang that person's really smart i feel like well i can't speak like that i'm an idiot I need to do more research. I need to speak like that person. I need to write like that person. And then I like, like you said, dig deeper, keep going. We're not there yet. Mm. All right. So traveling on to other type five qualities, there's a quality of energy management that fives are known for. And that's why they're associated with avarice, being very selective with where you spend your time, energy, your resources and wanting to prevent people from overly imposing themselves on that part of you. And so I'm wondering, in what parts of your life do you show energy management? All of them. I do as much as I can to work as little as possible. I work like five hours a week and I complain about those (laughs) five hours. (laughs) And I waste so much time, but to me, I. To me, it's not wasting time. It's doing what I want with my time. So if I spend 10 hours doing a hobby that I enjoy, other people might see that as a waste. But if I can structure my life in such a way that I can afford to only work five to 10 hours a week and Mm -hmm. still get by and enjoy doing my hobbies, then I've won. Like that's me managing my time energy efficiently. Yeah, back to autonomy. That's like, that's a win. And I, I would agree with that. Um, energy management. I I think I just hate when people waste my time on something that is like um, just so um, minimal. Like I'll, people will book like discovery calls with me, and it ends up being a like you know a sales pitch for how they could use SEO to help my website. And I'm like, 
I'm going, like, I just want to come to your house right now. <laughs> like it's so, and I think that's more when people impose and we're generous with our time. I think we're generous with our time. Like I guarantee if Chris, uh, I said, Chris, let, let's do a call. He'd be like, okay, yeah. I mean, let's do it. And like, and then if I were to waste it by like pitching something to you, you'd be so pissed at me because it's like, I could have done anything else with that time. Um, so people like neglect, um, they don't consider people's time, I guess. And that's why I'm very cautious about like, if I'm going to reach out to somebody, it needs to be worth their time. Joe, you, you, you hit the nail on the head about like the people calling to like pitch you about SEO stuff. Oh my goodness. Every three months I get an ENT type of some sort that wants a, wants a 30 minute call so they can pitch their idea to me or they can get me on board to how to grow my channel. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And that's good. I mean, you probably have it worse than me because you have you know, like 27,000. I get it mostly on like, again, LinkedIn. It's like an SEO YouTube expert that's like, you know, I noticed that your your website isn't ranking high on Google and we have this like block delete every time. Yeah. It's like, don't you think I would have done that already? <laughs> like, right. <laughs> sending you like, you'll block them, but they just keep coming back with mm-hmm. different accounts. And I'm like, no, <laughs> there's no end to this. There's not. If we do decide to put a lot of energy into something like a person or an idea or a venture, then that's super important to us. And it will be like unlimited power to- power and energy towards that goal. Um, so if, if you know our type and we decide to put you in the inner circle, take notice. That's right. I will dedicate a lot of time and energy to like a friend or something if they need help. But it's very hard to get to that that point where that's the kind of person that I'm willing to do that for. All right. So speaking of friends, how many people do you share your innermost feelings to? More than more than ever. I mean, I will. T- I tell people that I'm pretty. I, I tell a lot of people that I love them. I'll be like, love you. Great. Thank you. Like, like, especially if they give me a compliment or they're really big, like they're, they've supported me. I will tell them that I love them just to be like, what's the big deal? It's not like not masculine or whatever. So I don't, I'm like, I will definitely, I think I have more than most INTJs. That's great, Joe. Yeah. With my friends too, we tend to casually say, I love you to each other. So I'm mm-hmm. on board with that school of thought. Chris, I love you. Uh, uh, do I count as a person when I'm talking about who I would share my emotions with? Because <laughs> if, if not, uh, then zero. Um, I don't share that type of stuff. Very, very rarely, extremely rarely do I share anything about the innermost. In fact, like two nights ago, my wife was like, hey, you don't share your emotions. And I was like, hey, I know. Okay, it's, like, it's just like I'm not not really interested in doing that but it's also because i don't feel like i feel strongly about things that's bs like, like if i like <laughs> i mean no, i mean like feel feel i could definitely think strongly about things okay. or have strong thoughts about things but it's very rarely do i feel emotion to the point where it's like oh i need to express this in some form like anger for i mean anger and frustration is probably the most common and i see that with a lot of just t types in general uh you know t types are far more likely to express frustration uh, annoyance, that sort of thing. But I, like, if I have a bad day, the last thing I want to do is talk to somebody about it. The first thing I want to do is go sit at my computer for a while and just think it over, do something to decompress. Yeah, and so that brings up an interesting point. Although Azura Psych has strong introverted feeling, at the end of the day, his thinking is still stronger. That's why I think the function stack makes sense. 
Yeah, I do think INTJs ultimately at the end of the day have stronger TE than FI because Chris talked about that difficulty with feeling strong emotion in that kind of way and wanting to express it. Whereas if you talk to an FP type with FI in the first or the second slot, they're like, oh, outlets to express my emotions. I will put them there because my emotions are always so intense and I always need to find a way to put all of these languageless sensations into something. So, yeah. Mm. I think I've tried to identify where, like, when I have an identity, when someone challenges my identity. This is why I got, like... So talking with famous people typed me ISTP. It was hilarious. And then I did a session with him and he said, okay, never mind. I got it wrong. Like INTJ. And then the other person was like, Joe's an ENFJ. Here's why I really like, I think that really offended my FI. Like, no, my identity is INTJ. And, but I was, then I tried to take a step back using TE. Like, well, hold on. Maybe I'm not. Let's evaluate. And then I went back and said, no, there's just, there can't be. It is an impossibility for me to be an FE dom. That'd be funny. I could mimic it for like, you know, <laughs> Dario said something really brilliant. He's like, every type can mimic the other types for a very specific amount of time, but do try to do it for 24 hours and they'll fail it miserably. Like I could be you, Joyce, and Chris could do it, but it would be like so straining on our, our mind that we'd be like, all right, I'm done. Right. Yeah, it would be acting essentially. And you can act as anyone if you want. Yeah, but you'd have to adopt some ENFJ lifestyle things and mentalities if you want to do it 24-7. So that means, Joe, you have to want to create relationship goals and want to optimize your relationship by getting people to share their feelings with you. So you would be Chris's wife. No. <laughs> I would be unpacking a lot of things with people. Ask him to talk more about that and ask them what their childhood was like. That's what it would be. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> it's actually one thing that is interesting is I'm fairly comfortable talking to other people about their emotional experiences, uh, especially that's something I find myself doing in coaching. And Joyce, if, if you've done coaching a lot, you've probably had clients who come in and they treat it almost like little baby therapy sessions where they're there and they talk about something and they start crying and you kind of have to like manage that and i don't have any issue with that and i think maybe that could also just be because i want to be a psychologist one day and it's like i already have the expectation that's going to be what's on the plate um but for for me it's the the struggle is my own emotions like i don't want to talk about mine i'm happy you know you talk about yours that's fine i'll listen to you don't cross this line there's a line in the sand and i don't want it crossed that's literally like one of the things that is like i or not I, well intjs and five fives will ask so many questions of somebody else to avoid being asked themselves. That's like one of the main things I'll do. And I see that all the time, but I think you're much more, you're less willing than I would be to talk about emotions or like what they're, how they feel about something, which is fine. Just interesting. You said that. Yeah. All right. So we discussed the feelinglessness quality of the Enneagram five. And so I was wondering about hypersensitivity which is another trait of five. Do you ever experience that to anything? Yeah. Sudden loud noises drive me insane. Or if I'm in a flow state and someone doorbell rings or I like, I see something out the window, um, instantly pissed off. Like, I, I think it's called like mis misophonia is a term for like just noises that make you like homicidal. <laughs> Pretty sure I have that. 
For me, it's definitely light. Um, in fact, one of the reasons I'm going to the eye doctor tomorrow is because I get I get ocular migraines. So like I get flashes in my eyes and stuff, and my eyes are just very very sensitive to light. I went a couple of weeks ago and they dilated my eyes, and she was like, "This is the most I've ever seen like eyes dilated before in any of my patients." Wow. And I was just like, "Yeah, my eyes are just really sensitive to light. Like I can't <laughs> be around bright lights very often." Oh no. Yeah, I've read that, like, I read a book about Elon. He cannot look at the color yellow. Every sign in all his factories are red because he cannot do yellow. Like, it, uh, that must be, I don't know what if you can attribute that to a function or if that's more of an Enneagram thing, but it is very fascinating. It's also attributed to introversion, too. Introverts are slightly more likely to deal with weird hypersensitivity issues because your brain is at a certain level of stimulation. For extroverts, their brain is typically understimulated, so they have to bring it up to a certain extent to get the normal level of stimulation through interacting or engaging with other things. Hmm. Whereas for introverts, they're already at the normal level of stimulation by themselves. So if you add anything on top of that, they can feel overstimulated or hypersensitive from like yellow uh, signs or light. Thought of it like that, huh? But I yeah. will blast music in my ear. Yeah, I like blast like, music too. I, will, I blast music as well. <laughs> I will put like I in my old car had like two 15-inch subwoofers. And I just like blow out other cars when I drive by. Like like just it was ESFP phase or something. I don't know, but it's like I love the bass and stuff like that. So it's weird that we when we choose to go insane with that sort of stuff, we will go way past like a normal person. Yeah. So the difference is, is you're in control of that noise. So mm -hmm. you chose, I like loud music. I'm going to play the loud music. But if it happens without your consent, it feels terrible. <laughs> and the hypersensitivity issue is why INTJs have the stereotype of always wearing black or colors that are similar to that. Because if they wear bright, bold colors every single day, like bright yellow, bright orange, that could be overstimulating to them to even wear themselves. And so overlap between INTJ and Enneagram 5 is big. I'm also very colorblind. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. <laughs> that could add to it. My doctor was like, yeah, you're like super colorblind. I'm like the blue-green one. He was, I failed because he was like, there's like 10 images and I made it to image 2 and then I failed the third one. And he was like, oh, <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Men are more predisposed to being colorblind. Fun yes. fact. Another thing associated with Enneagram 5 is something called negativism. And it's not wishing to give or do as others expect from them. Thoughts? That's what Chris just said, I think, about I want you to reciprocate the emotion I'm giving to you. I need you to – is that – that's how I heard it. Yeah, like I'm imagining the – like I don't want to be forced into feeling what I'm not feeling kind of thing. It's like what I'm imagining there. I don't know if that's what you meant. But yeah, yeah, I mean – I think that that fits. So it's like an example recently was like, um, I'm trying to think of something that it's like, okay, so there's a, there's a conflict between Russia, Ukraine. We all feel this way about this. And then the, anything like that imp feels imposed where it's like, we have to feel a certain way now. Any, just name a cough. I mean, the next thing will come around in two months where we're like, everyone's talking about it. And I feel like there's a, there's a pressure to have a certain view on it, or we have to in conversation, talk about it. And we're like, we're not going to be told that's how we're supposed to believe. Or what, I think that might be something, if I'm hearing this right, that's how I instantly go to that. 
Yeah, it's definitely relatable with things like politics, for example, because I'm someone who's super unopinionated. I've never voted. I just I don't have any interest in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and but when people talk about it, the reason I just never say anything is because if you say that you don't have an opinion, then people get mad at you for not having an opinion because you're supposed to feel how they want you to feel. Right. And it's just like, oh, well, then I'm just not going to talk about it. And I'm just <laughs> That's why we develop interesting, like, we kind of troll people in a way. We go, yeah, that's, wow, that's that's certainly an issue that people are talking about. And they think that you're actually, like, you're saying something, but you're saying nothing. It's like, man, can you believe X, Y, Z? And you're like, yeah, that is, wow, can you believe, yeah. I mean, crazy. Crazy. Yeah. You're just crazy, <laughs> I huh? do use a lot of that type of talk. You're yeah. right, George. And and the people go, wow, he like, well, the, but the the trap there is that they think you're agreeing with them, and you're really not. You're just you're just affirming that they've said words to you, and you're like, wow, those are words. <laughs> <laughs> that is a wonderful way, a wonderful tactic to to get out of having a, an opinion. All right, duly noted. Joe has a six in his wing, and sixes are great at knowing ways to get out of trouble or knowing ways to prevent trouble because they can anticipate trouble very easily. Like sixes are known for their ability to just anticipate. And so they're like, all right, if I give this response, they're going to react this way. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to say, wow, great, great thoughts you're having and and (laughs) avoid, avoid the tsunami when I know that it's there. Yep. I like to cause the tsunami sometimes. Mm. Like, I, like, like I, I'm very good at avoiding trouble if it's needed, but sometimes I like to just cause trouble just to see, like, if I can do anything with that. Not mm-hmm. to be a troublemaker, but to like challenge others' opinions. But also, it helps me reinforce mine. Like, I'm, I'm testing my own. A few weeks ago, about a month ago, at this point, actually, I went on Reddit into academic psychology, which is like the least nonsense psychology subreddit out there, and was like, I think MBTI is fine. Let's have a discussion about it. Oh my God, you really? And I got downvoted into oblivion, and I just, I talked to people for like ten hours. I was just like having conversations, like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, reliability, validity of their studies, it's fine. They won't hear it. They were not not an ounce of it. It's like you can't change a single person's mind. Yeah, how many times did you get sent the Vox article or the oh, definitely. Vox video? It's like, oh, Vox, wow. Like, you know, Jordan Peterson, Adam Grant. Yeah, we know. Big Five. We got it. Has and anyone ever like, put the Big Five <laughs> like, call up anywhere? Well, it doesn't have predictive reliability. And I'm like, well, it's not a clinical assessment. It's like yeah. you're not supposed to use it for that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, Joyce and I – Joyce has talked about this many times. It's like – yeah, it's like it's never told about – it's not a predictive tool. So – Right. Argument invalid. Stop saying it. <laughs> no, no one's saying it's. it's <laughs> like I would rather argue for astrology, and I hired. I actually went down the path of astrology. I hired. A, I got a natal chart reading, and it was super interesting. And I overlapped with enneagram and type, and I was like, I could do more with this than Big Five. Is it reliable or valid? No, not even close. <laughs> I'm not much into astrology, so I can't talk. <laughs> Right, but I bet you would be like, oh, okay. You would find something to pull out of it, like you talked about your type. You would see like, okay, I'm seeing something here, but you may not believe in its utility right away, but I think you would be open to hearing about it. Mm. The MBTI actually does have good reliability and validity metrics to it. It's it's passable. the, The thing that gets people on like, conversations and debates is that it's not good not as good as big five so they're like why not just use big five and it's like well that's a whole different discussion because if, if i say something has passable reliability and reliability just because something has better validity and reliability mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's completely you know gets rid of the thing that also has passable validity and reliability 
Yeah, I think like, like that, <laughs> yeah, the, this tension. Yeah, I think one of the beautiful things about MBTI is it allows more room for abstraction, whereas the Big Five tells you very concrete behavioral things that you can see clearly, but there's not as much that you can infer into. Right. I love Big Five when you're using it for what it's intended to be used for, which is to research the populations or the personalities of populations and, you know, <laughs> how people differ in personality across culture and that sort of thing. Yeah, very true. Yeah, we could yeah. go. I mean, I could go. We could all go so off on the on the Big Five crowd that it would just like, I don't know, like. We could just there's so many ways to destroy the argument. I, th I do a couple in my book, but like. It's just, we hear the same arguments. I'm so tired. Like, I'm just bored by all that stuff. By I, now. I just don't like that they want you to choose a side. It's like, I like both. Yeah, I yeah. that's where your Enneagram 9 in your tri-type comes in. You're like, I like both. I'm the same as you. I have a 9 in my tri-type. So I'm like, well, they're both good in yeah. different ways. And so, yeah, this is why NTs get the reputation of liking debate or engaging in debate. Because you're like, all right, I'm going to go on Reddit and see how many people downvote me for my opinion. All right, let's talk. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. That's good bold time. of you. That's such a good. That's such a good way to like get the like kind of collective, um, opinion of really smart people. Um, is just like say something that is like they can't resist. They know that yeah. you're trolling them, but they have to say something. And the the disconnect is so weird with stuff like this too because like when i went to this academic conference i sat down with a phd and talked about mbti and they were like oh i like mbti it's great it's interesting and then like you go online with people who like are involved with psychology stuff and it's it's like a completely different story and i feel like there's lots of people out there who really like mbti but won't talk about it because it's taboo professionally oh i've discovered that so much too yes it's like they'll dm me something about it but they'll never engage publicly it's like what's the what's the stigma like I, I've read all the stuff about the stigmas about Jung and Isabel Myers, but like that's so not even that's not relevant. But yeah, I don't want to publicly endorse MBTI. Is is such a weird like, career killer some somehow. <laughs> I think it mainly comes from what the media is promoting, and people just tend to take that opinion as gold, and they don't question it. And so they're like, if this source said it was bad, then it's bad. And but the articles. I think the Vox article like quotes Carl Jung to disprove MBTI. And I'm like, that's not what Carl Jung meant when he said that. It's like, yeah, it's taking the quote out of context. And anyways, we could talk about this for hours, but maybe for another Make episode. this a panel, Joyce. This could be a panel. Yeah, let's go. That's let's a great go. panel. You haven't done anything like that, right? Yeah, let's do it. Um, big five versus MBTI. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> and so on that note, thank you, you both for coming out. I appreciate the Enneagram 5 insights into your mind, into why you do things, and into how you spend your energy and your time and your resources. And yeah, feel free to check out Joe's channel, Ghost of Young, and Chris's channel, Azura Psych, in the links below. And support him by buying his book. And it's it's oh, look, what a beautiful cover to look at, that. Wow. look at that. I mean, that's just like... That's just good creation on on a Word doc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can see his six wing and work. Oh, yeah. Bringing it into fruition. And so thanks for the wondrousness. All right. Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye.